This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my company, Horns of Odin. Now this week saw us release our brand new clothing range. It's our spring range. And what we've done with this collection is we've tried to put together a bunch of garments that you can wear no matter what the weather. We've got a bunch of new t-shirts. These ones I really like. We've got a Berserker Spirit t-shirt and an Ulfadin Spirit t-shirt. And what these are is that they've got a warrior in the middle and then behind the warrior you've got the spirit of the animal that they're embodying. So behind the Berserker you've got a bear and behind the Ulfadin you've got a wolf. Um, alongside that, for those of you who like something a little bit more simple, we've got just a logo t-shirt. So it's our logo on the left-hand side and that comes in a heather neve and a woodland heather. And these t-shirts are 100% organic recycled cotton. Then we've got a new jogging pant which come in the men's and the women's and we've also got a hoodie. So these are all in black with our logo embroidered on them. Again, with the hoodie, we're trying to keep in that theme of keeping things sustainable. So that's made from 85% organic cotton and 15% uh, recycled polyester. And it's um, Global Organic Treaty certified and also Fair Weather Foundation certified. And finally, I think my favorite item from this launch is we've got a brand new 100% cotton jumper. Now, this jumper is absolutely perfect for me. You can wear it on its own or you can layer it up and have a t-shirt under it and throw that on top for that little bit of extra warmth. It's really comfortable, it's really soft. Like I said, it's 100% cotton. Uh, the men's one comes in black and a beautiful olive color. And then we do a women's one, which comes in a lovely navy color as well. So yeah, just pop over to the website and check them out. Don't forget, you get that extra 10% discount off anything store-wide for listening to the podcast and for supporting the podcast. Just use Horns10 at checkout and you can get 10% off anything. Thanks for listening. Let's jump into the show. Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farron, co-owner of the Company Horns of Odin, and I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvik. Hello. Today we're joined by Tommy Gusola, uh, who is a PhD in history of religion and also folklore researcher and archivist at the Folklore Archive of the Institute for Language and Folklore in Uppsala in Sweden. So welcome, Tommy. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this one. I like folklore and mythical beings and creatures. That's right up my alley. That's the kind of stuff that you uh, work a lot with, right, Tommy? You, um, uh, I've seen. I mean, we've known each other for a while now. I've, I've, I've been seeing you um, do different kinds of things, um, sort of like more and also like in the populist sphere of of things in Sweden, right? Um, do you want to fill us in on, on like some of the stuff that you're working on uh, with like, you know, popularizing folklore and bringing it out to the people? Uh, oh, yeah. For example, I'm, I'm also hosting a podcast in Swedish mm-hmm. called, called Namatadar om Trollen, which is when you're speaking about trolls, it's a, it's a saying because when you say those words, it's like they will stand at the threshold, the doorway. So that's um, going quite well, but also I'm... Uh, trying to give as many public lectures as I can, not only for an academic audience, but more for the general public. Also writing a lot of uh, articles on folklore and um, on radio and all kinds of 
places all around. So I'm, I'm basically working with folklore uh, full time. Mm, cool. It's interesting. And um, before we jump into folklore, Matthias, we had an interesting comment on our uh, YouTube ch- channel, which I, I couldn't help but chuckle at. So basically, the uh, the gentleman is he, he. I guess he's listened to the show but doesn't know what we look like. So so he, so he says. I'm an English studies student in Sweden, and I figured I would use you guys guys in an assignment on language variety and structure. I have been listening to your podcast for ages and heard every episode, but I have never watched it. Uh, I've never watched it here on YouTube before. Now, imagine my surprise when Daniel didn't have black hair and Matthias wasn't all that heavy set. Your voices tell a very different story. (laughs) Now, (laughs) when I read this, I was like, hmm, Matthias. You must have an obese voice. <laughs> like, to, I guess. <laughs> to, to the average listener, you must be a, ch- a chubby boy. <laughs> well, I'm not slim, but... <laughs> I, yeah, you, I don't think you're uh, obese. Yeah, well, um, no, I mean, I, uh, uh, like, I, I, I do actually... Uh, go back and forth a little bit on weight, uh, <laughs> and I have uh, over you know a course of twenty years now. Uh, obviously, getting older and more sedentary doesn't help. Um, <laughs> but I think it's kind of funny. Look, uh, also, I I think it's hilarious that he ends that comment by saying, "Still love you guys' work" or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kind of disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> In spite of that, in spite of us not look, spite of us not looking how we sound, like <laughs> still good. <laughs> I just I read that and I was like, no, I have to talk about this. This uh, that's too funny. Just because I do wonder what people think we look like. Obviously, anybody who's listening to this that doesn't know, you can just pop over to our YouTube channel and see what we look like. Um, but I guess so many more people listen rather than watch that I imagine people have painted these pictures of us in their mind and we just come along and shatter them with our slim cheekbones. <laughs> well you, not me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's jump into to folklore, I guess. Um Tommy, the first thing I want to ask, which I've been thinking today, is what's the difference between folklore and myth? And is there a difference? <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> quite a, it's a big question. Uh, okay. The simple answer is yes, and uh, that myths are more about uh, uh, earlier time when uh, things uh, became took uh, uh, took place, and when the gods were a part of it. Folklore is more what normal uh, people are are saying to each other is stories, all kinds of stories. And folklore is also a very uh, hard uh, term to, to to define because there are so many different also uh, genres and uh, um, types of uh, stories and narratives. For example, the things I'm working mostly with is something called folk legends. Uh, in Swedish or in uh, Danish, we, we would say sagen, uh, which is not a word that exists in English. The closest one is for folk legend. Uh, in in Ger- in in German, we have also sagen, which is the same. We are, we differ it between legend and folk legend in Swedish. 
or in Scandinavian languages. Um, there's, a, then there's also another type, which is like the folk tales or the fairy tales, which can also be uh, subdivided into different genres. And then also you have these kind of stories that people say if they encounter supernatural beings and things like that, that they call the memorats, something that you um, uh, first-hand experience almost, that you tell, which is not a legend, it's something else, because it's a different also type of genre. So yeah, it, it's also, it's a really big question. It goes way back to the Grimm brothers, actually, when, when they, uh, uh, the first, before they did this, uh, or the same time they collected these very famous folk tales, the Grimm's uh, brothers, Grimm brothers uh, folk tales, fairy tales. They also collected legends. So Deutsche Sagen also came out 1816 to 1818, I think it was. Uh, and they tried to differentiate between folk tales and legends already back then. And then they did it again. One of them did Jakob Grimm in his Deutsche Mythologie, which was the, the foundation for the Matthias and my <laughs> uh, old Norse mythology kind of uh, religion, first real study, so to speak. But they also tried to differentiate even more between legend and, and the folk tale in that one. It's, it's a bit tricky. Folklorists are still trying to, uh, to find the best <laughs> best way of uh, explaining what. what yeah, it no, is. Yeah. that that is that is so true. I mean, I I, I remember I, I had a whole damn chapter in my PhD dissertation, just trying to figure out what 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 is the genre of the the, the type of stories that I was working with, right? And, and, you know the stories, particularly in, in Snorri's Edda, and it's so interesting to to see also what Snorri actually says when when he describes these stories because he uses term Icelandic terminology. He calls them uh, saga. He calls them maul. He calls them frausuk. Like there's like a bunch of different ter terms that he's just throwing in there, which also you know in context specifically of like the Nordic material gives. Um, actually, it problematizes a lot talking about the genre because what this tells us is that that guy back then, when he was like writing these stories about the Nordic gods, he had a very distinct idea of what kind of stories he was writing down, right? And and also that most of it is also something that we as researchers for academics are using to differentiate between different types of uh, stories, mm -hmm. uh, because most people, for example, a farmer in the nineteenth century wouldn't even say that I'm, I'm going to tell you uh, a legend they will tell a story and mm -hmm. so and and they, they knew all of these differences in a way so uh, as we still do today actually the same thing with us today we don't say that I'm going to say uh, this type of story it is up to uh, academics to 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 use different terms to better understand them yeah and there's, there's also you know of course um, the the age-old problem of of of, uh, of this field of study in general, um, you know, you have different disciplines that wanna <laughs> they wanna monopolize the um, <laughs> their particular corner uh, <laughs> of knowledge, right? So, you, so that also adds to the complications. And when we move beyond sort of like Nordic and the European material. Then these distinctions and genre discussions become even more um, convoluted in different ways because it is very it can be very hard to see 
difference between myth and folklore, folk tales and legends and all of these kinds of stories in in, in population groups around the, the world uh, where these stories are still active, right? And there's, there's with the, the Northern European material, um, one of the reasons that they started collecting it in the first place was that these traditions were also, you know, deteriorating in different ways and uh, and um, becoming um, lost to to modernity. And uh, so, so that's also part of it, right? So, so it's a it's a very complicated question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I like to start. Out. <laughs> I think, in my mind, and this is obviously a very simple mind, the <laughs> a myth would be something that has happened like you said to me a long time ago but it's kind of a finite thing that's happened and and it is there and it exists in that moment and whereas a folklore would be something that carries through almost like what what parents tell their kids about I guess we'll get into like the trolls and it's something that's more recent and could still crop up in modern times whereas a myth would be more finite and kind of an old story does that yeah. make sense <laughs> yeah in a way it, it does and there's also different definitions about myth so some are using it like some are saying that maybe elvis presley is still still alive somewhere and it's a myth that this and that happened can you can okay. use it as, as an untrue story so to speak mm-hmm. or yeah uh, over the top story so to, something like that but usually as a historian of religion we usually use it for uh, primordial times when the God shaped the world and uh, all things came into being, so to speak, as you said also. And folklore was also, a, for example, the first human beings that were communicating with each other were also obviously, uh, also it's also folklore, everything they were doing. But we don't have the sources, so we can't really know for sure what they were saying to each other. Oh, it sounds so complicated already. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you if you if you look at it in terms of like um, cultural anthropology and s- systems of thinking, right? Um, both myth and folktale um, legends and so on, they of course express a, some kind of foundational ideas of how the world works for for a population group, right? So mm-hmm. a creation story sets the tone for 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 how a population group perceives the world in general um usually a creation story will 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 help you understand what is good and bad in the world those kinds of things Mm -hmm. of course you know it could be a whole you know conglomerate or cycle of multiple creation stories that that come together to sort of like um describe that picture of like what do we as a people uh think is appropriate and what do we not think is appropriate and so on uh, the japanese uh uh creation story is one of the most spot on when it comes to that uh the story about um this divine pair izanami and izanagi uh who created uh, the the four islands that that the, are the main islands of of, of Japan um, in this primordial sea, and then later on the the the, the, the story goes on to tell us how um, they uh, began to uh, you know spawn gods. Um, I don't remember it that well, but um, at some point, um, um, Izanami, I think it is. That's the female. She uh, uh, then gives birth to the fire god, 
and she dies from that. And that then rolls into a story about all the things that are perceived as unclean and the things that are perceived as clean and so on in, in, in Japanese culture, to some extent at least. And so that's like right there, that, that is a, a origin story of like basically what are our social values in different ways and, and how do we perceive the relationship between humans and, and, and the world and, and all that stuff. And that's, that's usually what creation stories are. Then we have these folk tales. I would say, uh, uh, to a large degree, a lot of folk tales they reiterate a lot of these values in different ways, or modify them, or localize them in in different contexts. And um, you know, we've probably lost a little bit of that by the way that we perceive um, mythology and folklore in context of the Scandinavian realm. Because I think that there is actually a lot of continuation, um, despite even th that there was also a, a conversion um, to Christianity and, and an entirely new belief system being implemented in the population. There's definitely been uh, a continuation in modalities of thinking, if you could say that, um, up until very recent times. Okay. So... Tommy, were folklore or would, would, would story, were these stories that were told around a fire, like in a big group, or would they just be told at home? Do we know how how it worked or whether it was just, I guess, was it just a story or was there a bigger meaning to it? Was it a, a way of passing information on through generations through these stories as well? That's also a very big question, but that depends on... Uh, place and time and all kinds of things but there are we know that people are can be two persons they can still be uh, telling uh, legends to each other which have value and meaning for them depending like uh, a hunter meeting another hunter and they know they had to make maybe certain rituals they had stories about the forest and things like that and it's part of their, their uh, livelihood but there are also in many of these stories are also used for example by the church to uh, instigate like uh, morals and things like that. Mm -hmm. So, and they have bigger meanings. And it's also a, a way of understanding uh, the world. So folklore is not, it's not only superstition. Superstition is like, um, sometimes that word is used, but it's, uh, it, it's like up, from up to down, you're looking down on something. And it's all, always comes from say the, the church or the, uh, the educated elite in a way saying that this, this is the informed masses they don't, they don't really know things so they, they they are interpreting various strange ways but it's, it's a way of understanding the world and how to behave to each other you can find uh, many things about human beings because all legends all folk tales and everything is stories about humans themselves really mm -hmm. in the end so it's about how we behave to each other how we behave to the to the na to nature and environment and uh, yeah different works depending on what we're working with and things like that so we can find all kinds of things in in in, uh, in folklore and also as a folklorist you can also use myth can also be a part of folklore because it's also stories so that's also mm. complicated in a bit uh, in a way <laughs> of course I, I guess what I was thinking is I know that in modern times it's always easier to remember things that you put into a story. So yep. I was wondering if maybe you know these these were stories like you, like you said with the hunters they would tell each other and it was a way of remembering to do certain things 
to I guess have better chances of catching something or what berries to pick and and that kind of stuff. If, if we find that information in these stories, or is it just a? But there are also story? things in the imaginaries of of the people, the folk. Uh, say there are there are forces that we still don't understand today. For example, with luck, good luck, bad luck, and it was mm-hmm. interpreted like as a force almost. Mm-hmm. So. For a hunter, that was actually something that you really, really needed to have good hunting luck, of course. And mm-hmm. then there are different rituals and ways of to behave in, in the forest. And it's also, especially in the northern Scandinavia or, or in Finland also, you have the forests are really dangerous. Um, people didn't venture into the forest by free will if they didn't have anything to do inside the forest because there were still a large risk of never getting out again. <laughs> <laughs> because they, they didn't have GPSs, they didn't have anything it's like it's it could be very dangerous. So, um, so I think these kinds of ways of for human beings to just um, yes, to they're, they're like there are stories about different uh, spirits in the forest in in um, Scandinavia. It's usually a female forest spirit uh, who's luring hunters inside sexually invitations or things like that and you can you can interpret that sexual fantasies some ways but also you can you can hear a laughter laughter somewhere it can can be of course can be a bird or something but if you're in this kind of state of mind and you're lost in the forest or something it's easy to to interpret it in the ways of this imaginary of the forest spirit so and and there are i wrote an, an article about this just a couple of years ago in english actually so i have it here in the folklore, the English UK, okay, yeah, journal. So it's spirited away by the female forest spirits in, in Swedish folk belief, and I compared it with the Finnish uh, similar kind of belief called metsenpeitto. When when you are in the forest cover, when you when someone can be almost swallowed by the forest, mm-hmm. uh, and I you think, never get out. I, yeah, and I mean anybody that's been in in a forest, especially one that's very dense it is it is extremely overwhelming and you can soon lose your bearings and almost like even 10 meters away you can't see what was there especially when you know when there's a it's very dense with trees yeah it's hard to see what's going on and like you said back then there wasn't any gps there wasn't any i imagine there was no footpaths to, to follow no. it was yeah. it was very much you on your own and you do get that sense of overwhelming fear when you turn around and go oh shit maybe i don't know where i am and then well so so i have to say a couple of things here because there's there's definitely that aspect of like the the fear and the risk that's involved with the forest but but this is also where we where we circle back to what you were talking about before daniel about uh, uh um, passing on knowledge uh of, of of different environments right that's an that 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 is a main component of a lot of uh, folklore out there um to to tell you exactly like how does this environment function and as human beings you know uh, remembering stories that personify uh, elements of 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 the world uh, th- that doesn't necessarily uh, speak to us uh, directly as uh, or interact with us uh, as as humans do, like personifying uh, trees and, and rocks and mountains and all that stuff. That's that's a really powerful way of also remembering how that environment works, right? Um, so so that's uh, I think 
to an extent, I think the, the, the fear element that people might have experienced when it comes to like, the forest um, it, it is probably overplayed in a lot of uh, folktales because uh, that, is, that is what their function is, to basically remember and be aware of, of some of the problematic elements of existing in an environment that can be hostile, right? Um, I don't think I don't think people back uh, 400 years ago in uh, uh, in like I'm I'm thinking I'm just trying to imagine the life of a, a say a Swedish northern Swedish farmer right I don't think that he would have been that particularly worried about the forest as such he would of course be cautious he would use these stories to tell his children what to be careful of and how how to relate to to the environment but um that's sort of like almost bordering on panic that you were describing daniel i think that's a very modern approach to 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 the forest because i mean i i live right next to it and go into it where we have all of these animals that can be dangerous for instance and uh, there's a lot of people who who do that all the time here right and it's not like we're shitting bricks all the time when we're running around in the forest, if you know what I mean. Oh, I, I think I, I, I actually I disagree a bit there, Matthias. Oh, because, really? uh, yeah, me, me too. Get him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because we interpret the forest today in with the knowledge about nature we have today. So we are obviously not afraid, and we know that we can find our way back uh, out. But uh, according to the all the stories in the folklore archives, there are people did never never go inside the forest. If they didn't have any special like mission, like the hunter did, of course, that was his livelihood. And maybe some other people who were working in the trees or something, but they never ventured far inside the forest. They're different also, they differentiated between different types of forests. So the one we are actually describing here in a way is what, what we would call a troll forest. Mm -hmm. uh, not because okay, obviously there were trolls there, according to folk imagination back then, but there were also... They are like these kind of wild forests that got the roots everywhere, things are overgrown and things. But then you have the culture forest, which is uh, uh, planted trees, which is much easier to to uh, orientate around because there are, yeah, the, everything exists. You can see hundreds of meters maybe. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's it's not as dangerous. But the most dangerous part, we have many stories of like, like hunters, uh, experienced hunters that have been hunting the same area for 50 years and all of a sudden they just uh, get lost mm -hmm. they have no idea how it why and then they are maybe saying that it's because of the forest spirit or something and uh, yeah and also sometimes we go back to this luck good and bad luck because that, that's very crucial for understanding the way of life for a hunter for example and for someone maybe have a very good hunting luck and all of a sudden there is no wild game at all and uh, then there are try to understand why and interpret maybe he has misbehaved done something wrong and try to get good hunting luck again with magical means which magical rights uh, which is very much part of folklore i have i have a good example of a ethnologist a swedish ethnologist called orva lövgren he wrote his dissertation of fishermen in the 1960s, so this is quite recent. Uh, and he was documenting their way of life. So he uh, went out from Skåne in southern Sweden uh, with, with the boats, uh, trolling kind of boats, I think it's in English. 
But he went with them three times, and every time uh, they didn't get much fish. Uh, but they had good luck before he came, and I, almost, I said it now. Uh, they, they never said anything to him, but he could feel it. Because he was on the boat, everything was getting its sour luck. So it's still in modern, modern times, we, we think in a way in these terms also. So because uh, also the, when, when uh, it's easy to... Um, things to fail like for fishermen they are very it can easily get very dangerous and can also be very um i must need use the word luck again but still luck is still a magical kind of thinking <laughs> way of thinking so but yeah these are things uh, explain things in these kind of terms i think i think looks a fascinating thing because in it doesn't exist like it's not a, it, it, when you when you think about it on like a, a real literal level it it's not a real thing it's just some things happen because they happen because an animal just happened to be walking yeah. in a certain direction you all were walking that way and you stumble across each other and that's just that's just life or you place a bet and it comes in and you win and so so luck doesn't exist but it really does exist also when you when when something happens you're like oh fuck i was really lucky there and then you do even someone like me is gonna say look doesn't exist if i do something and something happens i'm gonna go oh i'm gonna do the exact same thing next time even though it's probably gonna have no bearing on what happens because you just sign it to being lucky and that's something that i guess has never changed it's something that people do today you know completely people think you know, like like I do, will still wear lucky socks or lucky yeah. underwear or do a certain little ritual, and you know that it doesn't really do anything. But also, you dare not do it. <laughs> yeah, but that's typical because, say, say athletes, for example, that's a, a group today that's maybe you can call it superstition or not, but still, it's very dependable on certain rides doing things in a certain way before the game or something because mm -hmm. they are if they don't do it in this certain way they are afraid of maybe getting bad luck or something I, and even even the supporters are the same way they are i had it with rugby when i played rugby yeah. i had certain things i had to do yeah like every game before the game and it wasn't i guess to to a degree it almost made look was almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because it wasn't anything bad would happen if i didn't do them but equally, I would be inside my own head and I might perform differently on my own, in my own mind because I haven't done these things. Yeah. So it's, it also it almost just happens because another, I've done it. Another thing that's really interesting about that when we mentioned athletes, right, is that, um, I mean, this, this is also uh, a, uh, is what you would call a labor activity that is so uh, defined by science nowadays. So, so you know, uh, the, there is so much research going into how you enhance performance in different ways, right? And uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot of methodical thinking, uh, scientific methodical thinking also applied. And at the same time, then you also have this, <laughs> uh, this element of like thinking about luck and ritualizing and so on. It's actually um, an incredibly interesting um, human product right there <laughs> all together like the way that all of that stuff comes together i guess it's almost like a placebo for yourself that if you you believe in it strong enough it almost 
helps you perform better because you believe it. Not because it does anything or there's any look to it. You just believe the looks on your side. So you, I guess it's like when warriors go into battle, believing God's on their side or Odin's on their side. It gives you that little bit of extra oomph. I mean, really, when you look at it in in sort of like a, a broad evolutionary uh, perspective, I think what you could perhaps argue is that this way of thinking has been part of enhancing um, your your abilities in general, right? Because if you have, uh, say you're going hunting and you have done this particular ritual that you always do before hunting, where you draw the animals uh, to you using a, a ritual specialist of some kind, um, yeah, uh, you have this whole ceremony and everything, and then you go out there and you 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 go hunting, and you know, uh, with the knowledge that you've done that ritual, and the uh, the idea that that ritual has drawn the animals to you, you might even like wind up going even further than you would have uh, mm-hmm. if you didn't do that ritual, right? You might you might uh, be thinking more positively about your chances to actually catch an animal and, and would, that eventually will bring you to catch an animal um because you're or I, wonder, I wonder if your um your senses might be a little more and heightened if you're just in a positive mindset i think that would be an interesting study to do if if somebody like did a ritual and believe in one way or the other and saw whether maybe your height your senses were a little bit more on point yeah no and the, the, there's actually someone's there's, done it i bet Actually, unfortunately, not not enough. Like there, there's so there's so much you could do. Like the research of um, of like uh, sensory experiences of of, of rituals um, of various kinds. I I've been wanting to do that with a uh, with a Viking hall and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know setting up a. Uh, just doing one of the edit poems as a as a ritual and see how that works. Tommy, we should we should uh, do that one day. <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, definitely. So let's talk about trolls because I feel like <laughs> trolls is the or certainly the biggest one for me as a a non Scandinavian that is associated to Scandinavia or at least that I've kind of come across in popular culture. There was the movie Troll Hunter that came out a few years ago. South Park obviously did their own little version of uh, the Troll Saga with, was it, was it Denmark, I think? Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it was, but theirs is more of an internet troll. But it's, you know, it's still this thing that seems to pop up time and time again. Where does that come from? Um, and obviously you get the troll cross, which a lot of people associate with Viking Age, which I don't think it is, is it? I think it's more of a modern symbol that uh, about trolls they are yeah they they are the word is there in the old norse um sources uh what troll is is also something you can argue something that's different that uh, goes against the, the kind of normal way of life uh, in uh, the icelandic sagas and the funadra saga and uh, the myths they are in one way they are used as a synonym for, for giants uh, the Jötnar, and also they are like uh, kind of supernatural beings, which we kind of also find in later folklore. Um, but they're also 
used sometimes for people that come from outside the community that's, that's saying something like, for example, the Tsami or, or the Finns can sometimes be, uh, in the Icelandic sagas, they can be uh, associated with trolls. And they were also later in, uh, even in academia in, say, for example, Sweden in the 17th century and 18th century, people were trying and using the old Norse sources to explain how uh, the Scandinavia were populated. So they were trying to find traces. So they would say, oh, the Sami is trolls. So they are walking here and, and trying to, to actually saying that they are similar things. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah. I read somewhere, and you could, you're going to be the man that can finally tell me whether this is true or not, um, that a troll was a particularly ugly dwarf. And I don't know where I read that, but it's something that stuck with me for for a good few years now. And I've always wondered whether there's any truth to that or where it came from, or if someone just made it up. <laughs> there are different types of trolls, I would argue, especially in folklore. Uh, there are one type, which is the trolls that uh, exist in folk tales, uh, which are usually larger, uglier, and dumber, actually. And that would make the, the young person who defeats them look like more uh, as a, like a hero. But then you also have the folk legends about trolls. And the trolls and folk legends are far from that. They are more like, look almost like normal people, sometimes even more beautiful. Sometimes you can just see them because you can maybe spot a tail or something. But they are mostly invisible. They don't really care. They are living like in a mirror world close to human beings, but not really interested in uh, interaction. Maybe sometimes they do, according to folk legends. So the, the, the trolls we are thinking about, and Troll Hunter is a good example, because the, the painters, so to speak, artists in the 19th, late 19th century, the 20th century, for example, uh, Erik Werenskjöld from Norway and Theodor Kittelsen from Norway and Jon Bauer from Sweden, uh, just three examples. They were painting trolls based on the folk tales, and the folk tale trolls were much more uglier. And these are the trolls that we are still seeing, mm-hmm. like in tourist shops and things like that in Sweden, when and in Norway and Denmark and Iceland. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the one I see or yeah. I think of is like a big, ugly, bald, yeah, brutish thing. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that so, lives under a bridge. And this is really yeah. interesting, right? Because yeah, there's definitely like different kinds of of uh, of, of trolls in that big. F- Fat ugly one, um, like I apparently sound like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, is is hardly even existing in in uh, the, the mythology. Like we we don't really encounter that figure that much. We have so you, Tommy, you mentioned the giants, right? Oh. Um, in Nordic mythology, and and just for for people who aren't aware, like the, the the translation "giant" from from the word "jörtun" is 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 a misnomer. It it does it's not actually a giant uh, that we that we're dealing with here. "Jörtun" means probably originally more something like like demon or or however you want to translate that into modern language. But but it has now become a standard to just translate it into giant, right? And when we look at it. In, in terms of like these 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 Jörgnar that show up in the mythology, so like very few of them are actually that giant, right? We have Krongnir and we have Skrimir as two giants. They're 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 giant uh, figures. Uh, Mokwokalvi as well, who, who you know is the 
um, the helper that Hrungnir brings to the duel with Thor. Um, but but then we have other Jarnar that are just like they they seem to be the same size, so to speak, of as the gods. They uh, interact with the gods as 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 another group of of like uh, humanoids of some kind, right? That that's how they 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 seem. And you know, we also see that the, the gods they can like you know have sexual relations with them, marry them, and 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 all that stuff. So, so that's that also tells us that 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 this the category of Jörgtun, um was very flexible in different ways, and as you mentioned, uh, it's mixed with threat in the old yeah. North literature, right? And the, some of the earliest instances we have of the use of the word threat seem more like uh, that it should be considered like a witch or something like that, and. We have, I mean, the the modern um, Danish word, for instance, for 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 magic is derived from from that word trull, right? Trulle, that that's that's what you that that's magic in in Danish. So there's definitely also that it's it seems to be sort of like a catch-all sometimes for just like supernatural in different ways, like scary supernatural, um, and, and and yeah, then then we get like also this crossover right what is it that story about the uh stone formation at Vatstena um just outside the church that's a troll that that, that crash landed and died <laughs> as far as i remember and this one is like she's this she's described as a she as far as i remember and she's also got like a tail and like uh you very much get the sense of like that typical scary troll with the um uh, with like fangs and and pointy ears and all that stuff, I don't know if you remember that one. Uh, the thing with um, also in folklore that people are not always trolls can be used for all kinds of supernatural beings. Actually, kind of catch-all phrase in a way, depending on where in Sweden I'm, I'm thinking of Sweden now. Where, where in Sweden you are, because there are different words that can catch all kinds of supernatural beings. And sometimes there are still some, uh, for example, when it comes to churches in all around the Nordic countries, there are usually uh, stones lying on fields, especially when there's big fields. And this, this is uh, this is a motif, we call it motif also, uh, that a giant or a troll sometimes have thrown a, a, a rock against the church. Mm. And they, they, are, they don't always miss because they're clumsy. It's, I think it's, you should... Let's see it as the church is protected in a way, in a Christian kind of way. So they, yeah. they miss. Uh, but they hate the, the church. They hate the bells. So that's why they try to uh, destroy the churches. And at the same time, they are also helping building most of the, the biggest cathedrals in the Nordic countries. And this is a motif that also goes back to the old Norse uh, mythology. And so that, that's like it turned uh, in Nidarosdomen um, in the Norway is made by a giant. Uh, uh, in Lund, we have also the giant Finn who helped build the cathedral there. Cathedral there, so and this is a motif that goes around everywhere. Yeah, I think. there's Almost also every... there's, sorry. There's also these uh, the stories about um, so in in the Danish area uh, because that's 
that's where we have the edge of the ice back in the ice age, right? So it's been uh, pushing dirt up in these ridges um, that you can see across the country. Usually those ridges have been made by trolls, according to folk tales. Yeah. And usually it's a troll who basically took a, a, a mitten and then filled sand in it somewhere and then like started to walk towards the church because they wanted to bury that church in sand. And then there was a hole in the mitten. And so, so you just put a big like ridge of sand through the, yeah. through the countryside. That, that's very typical of say giants in uh, the, the folklore material is that they are used in a way of explaining like etiological kind of stories, saying how things look the way they, they are doing. Because everyone knows that back in the days, the mountains were soft. So if a giant would sit there, you could see the the markings of his uh, butt actually in the, in the <laughs> there somewhere if he's lying somewhere you can see the lake formed after the giant or like uh, Matthias was saying also you can see all kinds of ridges and hills made by giants uh, so, but there is also a, a good story here in Uppsala where I'm from with uh, our big cathedral here so there's a story I was looking in the archives once um, and there was a uh, according to this uh, story there was uh, a shoemaker going from Uppsala uh, he was traveling north and from a parish up in north in Uppland here where I live uh, there was a giant walking towards the cathedral because he wanted to destroy it obviously because he didn't like the, the church bells and uh, he carried big rocks and they met half uh, when they come both come halfway so the, the giant asked the shoemaker how long it is to Uppsala and the shoemaker had a sack on his back with uh, worn-down shoes that was, he was about to repair. So he replied to the giant that he has uh, <laughs> every shoe has been worn down because it's so long to walk. And the giant became furious and uh, just threw the, the rocks on the ground there, and you can still see them. So that's a typical <laughs> folk legend. <laughs> that's also so interesting uh, element. This uh, uh, these. Um... It, it, things of like it, shoes and gloves are very often part of these stories as well. And I mean, we also know that from the uh, story of Thor and Utgaraloki, um, where, where Thor hangs out in Skrimia's glove. Um, carrying sacks on your back is also an element that, that seems to like uh, keep appearing in different ways and, and has, has sort of like more of a um, decisive meaning actually sometimes uh, it seems to me again with screamia he it's so it's actually that story is so hilarious yeah, and that's also one of yeah. the stories that's mostly most folk tale more than a myth yeah the oh absolutely no if you ask me that story is uh is a uh um 12th century um maybe maybe 11th century danish story uh, that has been produced to uh, to undermine uh, Thor's credibility as a as a deity, and um, uh, how it ended up in Snorri's Edda is a good question. But um, there's a, like for instance the word Hanski that's being used in there is actually East Nordic, so so there's something going on there. But um, yeah, and, and it's it's a, such an interesting folk tale actually, uh, because you have uh, this uh, this. Skrimia, this giant, and Thor uh, almost takes on that role of of that little kid 
that's that that's supposed to um, win over the giant, right? That you see in the folk tales, but he doesn't really. Except that <laughs> instead, the giant ends up like stealing his food. That's what the knapsack is all about, <laughs> which is also just like this weird comical element. Um, he just like, oh yeah, let me carry your food for you, and then he like walks off with it. <laughs> And I, I don't understand why people haven't spent more time on that because it's just hilarious. <laughs> and there's like there's like multiple weird elements of that story in general. And that brings me to this um, another etiological um, uh, story, the, the story about Ure uh, Buren in Norway, where we have a trollified Thor who is like, his name is Thor. He is a troll, according to the story. And what he does is that he shows up at a wedding, drinks all the beer, then gets mad uh, <laughs> that there's no more beer. And then he just takes down a mountain with his hammer. And it has like this little element of him also losing his hammer because he breaks it as he's like smashing um, the mountain. And then he has to go find the head of the hammer afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a multiple references there uh, to um, uh, the story about uh, Thor losing his hammer to Trima and, and and the whole marriage scene. But it's in the context of a troll that creates a mountain ridge instead. I mean, it's a reasonable reaction to having no more beer. Right. <laughs> uh, I, can, I can understand it. <laughs> it. It seems as though trolls in particular, like, and giants are used to explain the unexplainable when it comes to the geographical landscape. Um, <clears throat> like you said, with the mountains and valleys and and lakes, it's it's kind of I can I can just imagine a, a child being like, "Well, why is that mountain like that, or why is that lake there?" And the parent just being like, "Oh, well, the giants out there," and it's no, quite absolutely. entertaining, I guess. Yeah, but it's also interesting that there's like this element of like the old belief versus the new belief um, in these stories, right? Where the, the one I just referred to, like Thor is literally be, has become the troll in that story. We also have a couple of um, trolls that are named Odin or Woden or something like that. They, yeah, or... There are actually quite a few of them, uh, where, where they're old Norse uh, gods or the names at least uh, pops up in, uh, in folklore, much later folklore. Yeah. So, but I was thinking one more thing about trolls and giants uh, because when it comes to the folk belief of say the 19th century, that's usually what we think of when we think about folklore, uh, uh, the rural uh, society in Scandinavia back then. It's that giants are very rarely still, uh, believed to be still exist in this world, uh, according to the folk belief. They were also something that moved away when Christianity came to, to, to the land, and it's still used to explain things how things came into being then there are obviously legends folk legends and folk tales where people meet giants but they people didn't believe in giants in that in that kind of way they did think that they could meet a giant but they did think that they could meet a crawl so that mm -hmm. was a, a, a kind of difference the troll was still existing in in nature yeah and, and okay. see this is this brings me to um to that um to the huldur Right, so yep. we find those in, for instance, in in uh, in Norwegian folk tales, uh, <laughs> it's usually this curious situation 
of uh, of 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 some someone ha- has to go to the seder, uh, the, the the you know the mountain pastures with the uh, with cattle and take care of over the summer, and then he comes home with uh, a hulder. <laughs> <laughs> this this female being with a tail usually but then they get married and then she loses her tail and it's fine <laughs> like i'm wondering what what is what is behind this story like what 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 social reality lies behind stories like that the the, the kind of hulda you uh, uh, explaining now it's more like akin to the forest spirit is cooks in yeah. sweden for example yeah and or the or the vitra the vitter kvinna which is northern part of sweden this is also well, part of the fair book culture which is the same thing as almost saturday in norway exactly yeah. and and but, we have that as elle folk in 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 denmark to an extent as well yeah the yeah the elle kuna can also be similar mm-hmm. to to these kind of, but they are also they, they are they different when it comes to the, the supernatural beings in folklore in all around Scandinavia, they have different names depending on regions. Mm. Um, so you had heard uh, the the folk or in Sweden you would call maybe vettar in southern Sweden and vitra uh, in northern Sweden or underbyggare, which is underdwellers, so to speak, almost. And uh, they have huldrefolk in in Norway and uh, huldrefolk in in Iceland. So, but they are very close in a way in the British Isles have these fairies, for example, the invisible folk, the something that exists uh, but still are invisible. They are very similar to them. They are they are living in collectives, in families, and they are if, if people see them, they can be small, but they can also be the same size as hum, human beings, and they are quite similar to us in appearance. And they are usually not that interested in interaction either, but if we do something that would uh, make them angry, they will, they will show it directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. G- good example is, for example, in Ireland, you have this: you can't build uh, uh, roads over certain trees or mounds. You have that in Iceland, of course, with the Alfar or Hultefolk, where you can't just build roads and uh, areas. And you also have that in Sweden. I wrote an article about that recently about. Uh, a highway that went past uh, a mountain and there's lots of traffic accidents there and the people in the area some of them at least are saying that this is because of the vitra and this yeah. is this is in 2015-16 mm-hmm. yeah, Moons Clint still has a little bit of uh, uh, that as well because I mean, it's a chalk uh, rock formation right that keeps uh, falling apart and uh, you know people still attribute that to uh, Clintikong to yeah. I think it's a very very universal thing to be like that there's got to be some some evil spirit over there. <laughs> it seems like a nice way to explain things. Even even today, it's just a nice little titbit almost just to to throw in when you drive past somewhere. Be like, oh, the troll made that, or the giant did this, and it, it's just even though you know, that's how they stay alive. I guess it's just these little bits of information it might not be the full story but little bits get passed on one thing i found interesting was that you said trolls have tails because i not in my mind like to me a troll would never have a tail okay so if we go if we go a little deeper into all of this right so what could what could be the the back background for a story of that kind well there's there's some elements that we're seeing um we're seeing um so first of all we have to ask ourselves what is going on with 
uh, say a coal burner or a, uh, um, a shepherd or, or something like that hanging out uh, on the pasture or is somewhere outside of, of the built space, right? Um, them encountering a person, figure, spirit that is female and not fully human. Like, what, what is going on here? Well, there, there could be so many different uh, reasons that that is a story that exists in, um, in these uh, contexts, right? But, but, but the interesting thing is that, uh, that, that if they, they have some kind of animal uh, element to them in, in their, um, the, the general physiology that they then lose by uh, becoming married, right? Uh, which is the case for these particular huldur and uh, that you encounter the Norwegian seta. Then w- what it seems like is that this is perhaps a, a story that hits on uh, elements about uh, how to properly meet somebody and how to properly uh, get married and, uh, and um, uh, you know, start a family. Um, it, it could also be, you know, a situation of uh, finding, uh, finding your partner uh, <laughs> in, in the mountains in, in some weird situation. Um, I'm not sure entirely what would be the underlying theme of that in Norway, but I got some ideas. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know, uh, Tommy, what, what, what do you think about these uh, types of stories? Like, what, 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 did, what are they, like, what are the social uh, commentaries here? Oh, there, there are many different, uh, first off, when it comes to their appearance, I would say that it's, it's, it's just to explain that they're not fully human. They are part of nature. They are something else, depending on who is explaining, because the church had different also uh, ideas about this. Some might know that people were actually put to death because they were, accused of having sexual encounters with nature spirits in, in Sweden, for example, in the late 1600s, same mm-hmm. same time as the uh, witch trials. But th- these stories about someone marrying a supernatural being, I think these are, these are just stories. People never believed in them. Mm. But th- there are morals in these stories. For example, there are, uh, when it comes to Skogsro in Sweden or the Huldra in uh, Norway, I think the same thing with Elek Pige in, in, in uh, Denmark, that, for example, when according to the story, the, the husband is uh, at some point, he's beating his wife, which is a supernatural being, and at some point she is taking up a horseshoe and just bending it straight with her hands. She's because he's very strong, actually, really. And he's shocked and he says, why, why haven't you done something against me? And at one point she says that, uh, according to the Bible or something, you <laughs> a woman should behave according as she she should what do you say in english she should um she should take it in a way that that's one way of, of uh, mm. interpreting the other way is like uh he stops be- he stops beating her so this is also a warning that you shouldn't do this to towards your uh, wife so i think these are two different ways of interpreting some of these stories and also many of them are obviously I would say sexual fantasies. Mm-hmm. Before, even if you're out, out in Saturn, or especially if you're a coal miner, coal burner, and or if you're a hunter, also you're spending a lot, long, long times by yourself in a very without female company or anything. And yeah, these are probably stories made up by some of them. Yeah. This is a, a normal interpretation in a way. 
I would love to know where some of these stories come from because some of them are quite pink kink actually (laughs) I I mean especially men men are in like men are fucked (laughs) so like when some of these ones are like sexual with animals I guarantee will have happened and somebody's probably just stumbled across it and then this is where this this beast is born from because this this has happened and somebody's seen it. Guarant like a guarantee. If you leave a man alone with anything long enough, it's yeah. I, I must say <laughs> not, something not about men. It's it, not no. me. But... <laughs> I'm <laughs> not a freak. Me, you can leave me alone with something. That's, that's, that's really but... interesting though, because there are some explanations in say the, the 17th century uh, in the trials against people uh, that how. Does a skogsrå, for example, a forest spirit, female forest spirit, exist? And some of uh, the academics back then, they were arguing that maybe this is because of someone having had sexual uh, relation with an animal. But I, but they, I wonder and, if, uh, if, you know... Speaking, speaking of that, I, I just want to throw in there that in that time period in the 1600s, 1700s, where we see... Uh, the massive witch craze, yeah. especially in the uh, what is it in Sweden in the sixteen uh, seventies. Yeah. yeah, in that same time period, um, there's a lot of people who are, you know, of course, uh, uh, accused and also executed for yeah. witchcraft. But in the same time period, I think bestiality is actually a, a thing that is uh, the far uh, supersedes uh, execution. It's, it's actually twice the amount. It's twice the amount today. Yeah, because you have about 300 persons that were uh, killed because they were accused of witchcraft. And you have about 600 persons though, that were killed because of bestiality <laughs> during the same period. I mean, it, it seems like a very easy out when, you know, you, a man, you're alone in the woods and somebody's, ha- let's, let's call him Bob, is having sex with an animal. And let's say somebody stumbles across it and goes, look, dude, what the fuck are you doing? And he goes, oh, well, actually, I thought it was this really beautiful I woman. I thought this was a chick. Yeah. The, this, oh, my God. The, the, the forest woman has made us, uh, obviously, has tricked me. It's not my fault. <laughs> my bad. Like, you know, we're all human. I thought it was a really beautiful lady, and it happened to be a sheep. Like, <laughs> that must, that seems like a very... Not, wouldn't I say normal thing, but very much an answer that somebody's going to give, like to explain how they ended up in this compromising position. Some, some we're also using these stories. There are some court cases against people who are accused of sex with the uh, forest spirits. Mm-hmm. And for example, I can remember one now, he's actually deserted the army. So this he used these stories to explain what happened with him in the forest. And and then, uh, yeah, he was killed in the end because he was accused of this uh, sexual encounter. But he didn't really understand that this is also, you have a clash between two different worlds. You have the, the folk kind of uh, explanation about they know that nature is uh, inhabited by different na- spirits. And you also have the church which does not approve of these spirits. They are the devil, actually. So if you if you say that you have a sexual uh, intercourse or encounter with uh, a spirit like this you are actually having a pact with the devil according to the church and that's why you're executed not not because of something else or yeah. bestiality is also one explanation yeah it, it, it quickly pivots to that uh, uh that interpretation for the church it's um uh, it, and and that's that's exactly what we're seeing 
um, especially in the 1700s in, in the Danish area, there, there are some fabulous uh, uh, um, reports about uh, how um, these very pious priests would try to blow up um, it, the so-called troll rocks that are like associated with troll folk tales of various kinds because they were considered evil. And, and it, I mean, it's a, a, that's a standard sort of interpretation from the church at that time that oh, we're dealing with devils um, in different ways that people have encountered or, or will encounter in this particular location. Thanks to, for instance, the, the, the rock that exists there or something like that. One thing that I, I just, um, um, was reminded of is a story about how the Lake Tisser in, 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 on the island of Zealand be, came into being. This was again the situation of a troll that, uh, really could not stand the noise of the church bells at this church that was located, or that is located not far from the, 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 the lake. And so he moved to Fune where he then met some, uh, guy. Uh, who came from that particular town, and he asked him, "Hey, can you take this letter to the to the minister at the church uh, um, for me?" And he's like, "Sure, yeah, I can do that." And he like crossed uh, to Zealand and uh, started walking towards the church. And at some point, he uh, sat down in a meadow uh, to just like relax a little bit. And then he like looked at this letter, and then he got curious and opened it. And then water started pouring out. And filled that whole meadow with uh, with water, um, and that that's how the lake uh, then came into existence. And the, the story is, of course, that the, the troll tried to drown the um, the uh, uh, the church. And I think it's a really fascinating tale for so many reasons. One is that uh, we know archaeologically that Tisser uh, is is a site of a major um, pre Christian um, a sacrificial site, a ritual center. Right? We have we have a, uh, um, a, a I guess we call it cult houses in, <laughs> in the history of Scandinavian religion, um, but a temple site, whatever you want to call it, uh, located at that place, right? But the, the 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 lake itself is named after the god Tyr. Um, that's what Tyr means, even though that in modern Danish it kind of sounds more like urine lake um and <laughs> and um and so we have this schism between like christianity and and the pre-christian religion and aside from that it also hits on another important feature of that, that low-lying uh um land of mostly mud that i come from um you know flooding is a real problem a real risk in a lot of places in 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 Denmark, right? So it's basically like this folktale that's compounding so many layers of you know knowledge over you know the uh, ages. I, I I find it really fascinating as a story, and I think I think there's 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 several of these. I mean, the one that I mentioned before, right, uh, with the Udeber, uh Uden, um, that one obviously talks about the risk of you know, falling rocks, uh, rock slides, landslides, and so on in a Norwegian environment. Um, and and, um, and I, I think that yeah. there's there's a lot of it's there's a lot to be said for folktales, you know, compounding elements of like environmental danger of that kind. 
then there's I think we should say something about uh, the material that exists when it comes to folklore in Scandinavia because it's I know it's very different. For example, if I if I compare it with with England, for example, I've been there many times. They don't have folklore archives. Ireland does, but not England. So uh, it's uh, oh, we're too stuck up for that. No, but still, it's um, quite early on. People started collecting folklore uh, in in large amounts. For example, if you say what Matthias was talking about, there's a uh, only one person, like uh, Evald Tan Christensen, for example, who published more than 70 books uh, filled with uh, mostly legends and tales and songs and all kinds of things. 70 books by one person. And he, he's, he's, uh, he's one person. Mm -hmm. uh, he wandered all around Denmark collecting tales of all kinds, even dialects and place names and things like that. And he was a man of his time. He was not the only one who's doing, what's doing this at his time. Same thing happened in Sweden and Norway, uh, even in Iceland, what in Finland. So uh, then it uh, started to come like these uh, folklore archives. One of the biggest, oldest ones in in the Nordic countries is, is in then is in Copenhagen. Uh, it, it was formed in the 1800s, late 1800s, the second half. I can't remember exactly the year. Then you have an uh, archive in. Uh, Nordic Museum in Stockholm, and you also have one in Lund in Sweden, and also where I work in Uppsala, where I work was formed in 1914, it's also quite old, and one in Gothenburg, and you also have one in Oslo, you have one in Bergen, and you have two in Finland, in, in uh, Helsinki, one for the Swedish-speaking part, and one for the Finnish-speaking part. So there are many archives, and every one of these is filled with millions, maybe, uh, probably millions of pages mm -hmm. of, of everything from dialect words to to stories. So they are, and, and also same thing that happened in uh, Dublin is also with the help of Swedish folklorists that came there and built this archive in, in Dublin for Ireland, the Folklore Commission in, in Dublin. Yeah, I imagine that every every region area had their own little bit yeah. of folklore, even though a lot of them might be very similar, they'll all have their own little twist on it to suit their environment. And I think I said on the podcast before about how when my mum was young, there's a there's a stone lion that sits on top of a place called Lion Chambers in Huntsville Town Centre. And my mum used to get told that on a night, if you weren't home by nine o'clock at night, this lion used to come alive and come down onto yeah. the streets. And <laughs> it's that kind of example of like, that's just something that's very specific to Huddersfield and the town centre and this lion in particular, but has just been passed through generations of people as this story of this lion. And I, this is to control kids, I guess. But it's that, yeah, it's that it's idea. Make sure that you get your ass home and don't stay out too long. <laughs> exactly. Before be, before we move off trolls, um, hopefully this is going to work. Mike should be ready with something because I want to know how accurate this is for a troll. And uh, so this is this is what I remember a troll being when I was when I was young. So for anybody listening, this is this is a very much a a 90s i think like an 80s child reference anybody born in the 80s will remember the little plastic figures the naked trolls with the long blue hair um i had a bunch of these are these any basis on any they from denmark anyway yeah so, so <laughs> is, is there any basis on the folklore that they look to like this no no because no. these are amazing yeah pen trolls we call them i think they're called what sorry Pen troll, yes. pen like a pencil trolls. 
Yes, they're, okay. they're genderless, but uh, you shove a pen up their ass. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mine, no, mine were quite big. You can put a. Oh, yeah. Some of them can be pretty big, too. Yeah. There's also yeah, an animated are... movie, I think, it's a DreamWorks or something called Trolls, based on That's these. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I remember playing with them when I was a kid. I thought they were, they were amazing, but I just wondered whether they were any basis on truth. Because no. that's that's a cute little guy. I wouldn't mind crossing one of them. But there are other trolls in a way that are quite famous in from the Nordic countries. If you include Finland, which is obviously Nordic countries, uh, the the Moomin trolls, uh, which is also a pure fantasy by Tove Jansson, uh, but still also famous trolls from the Nordic countries. Mm -hmm. So, what about the bridge thing? The whole because that to me is like a a Brit a troll lives mm. under a bridge. I mean, that seems, talking to you for the last hours, seems probably untrue. And so, so do we know where that comes from? That comes from, that's, uh, I think it's a folktale motif. Not not from the legends, really. It's a folktale tale motif. Or So that there's, uh, what do you call it in, I don't know the English word, but it's uh, three goats that are, Passing mm -hmm. a bridge, very Absolute, famous yeah. story. Yeah. Oh, Billy Goats. Is it Billy? Yeah, Billy, yeah Billy, the Billy Goats. Yeah. Billy Goats Gruff or something. And that that's kind of what I know from being a, a child, a troll is that it's it's almost an evil thing that lives under under a bridge and it comes out and eats the eats the Billy Goats. And if you misbehave on the on the bridge, I guess the troll's gonna come and come and get you. But it sounds almost, you know, like, like you were saying the trolls aren't necessarily evil or bad. It could be, be quite if nice, it, I guess. If if I go back to the, they 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 rarely nice in the, oh, okay, in folklore, uh, they are more neutral, not evil, okay. not nice. They are they are like neutral, uh, but I can't really say that I've read anything in folk belief that has to do with bridges and trolls. Only I wonder in, if that's in the, more the of a British. Thing thing then maybe we so i'm pretty it. sure that the story about the three uh, goats um in scandinavia we know no, that that exists day. yeah but that's also a folk tale mm -hmm. so it's okay. more to for for young children to to learn something because uh, they would become older and stronger and in the end they would defeat the troll that's what happens happens in this story so it would mm -hmm. be a way for young children to uh, maybe to see to to get out in the world and maybe feel good in a way that something good would happen if they grow is, older is that one almost like an inversion of the young trickster uh of of the three brothers right so we always have like three brothers yeah. um and and then it's always the youngest one who yeah. you know is successful because he was smarter or or more cheeky and opportunistic. That's no, he, he, he's smarter because the other two beat the shit out of him every single day. <laughs> I I I have, I'm best friends with three brothers, and the youngest one is is the smallest, but he's he's a witty little fucker, and he gets that because they used to torment him when when he was young. Well, and it's that makes that's sense. just. I, I think that just happens as a defense mechanism. I'm I'm the youngest of three too, so. <laughs> oh, that that explains a lot. <laughs> I guess yeah, that's so. all, that's also a typical folk tale motif, and not something in folk belief really. So it's uh, it's also that the youngest one is doing the simplest things, the easiest, the most, most pure things, actually, in a way. So that's why he gets the reward in the end. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that's right. But there are yeah. others too are thinking about themselves and things like that. 
yeah yeah and that, that yeah that's a that's a standard motif right? yeah so is there is there any other beings that stand out from uh scandinavian folktale that you that we should know about obviously we spoke a lot about trolls and sexy wood <laughs> women that seduce men um but other than those is there anything that's kind of actually the most famous one if you go to scandinavia and ask about a supernatural being they would say probably the household spirit or formstead spirit called nisse or tomte which is someone that is keeping the order in the farm in a way or the the, uh, the household it is a small being always a man very very rare with a female one and uh, he's he's helping out in the farm in a way and if, if you're okay. doing things correctly if you're not it's also kind of christian thing in here because you can't work on sundays for example he will punish you you can't uh, you, you have to you can't swear inside the stables for example he will probably beat the shit out of you actually <laughs> there are oh, many stories I, or, about or burn down your farm <laughs> oh, yeah there are some stories about that as well yeah. i would be fucked <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'd have no farm left <laughs> so it's more like the morale, keep the morale in in the farm in a way. So mm-hmm. He helps with that. He's he's known since the Middle Ages in in uh, Scandinavia. Yeah, Saint Saint Bridget writes about him. The the only saint we have from Sweden, mm-hmm. canonized by the, by Rome anyway. Okay, what about mermaids? That's that's just come to me because is that not synonymous <laughs> yeah. with Denmark? Is it or uh, Copenhagen? Uh, well, yeah. So, I mean, that that's because Hans Christian Andersen uh, uh, wrote the story about the Little Mermaid, right? That, okay. that we know from like the Disney movies and and, and shit nowadays. But obviously, it was um, it was yeah, yeah, you said it was a story before the Disney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, so mermaids are uh, a a thing of uh, you know a lot of uh, uh, cultures actually. Um, we have it in Denmark, Norway. Um, like typically, it's the folktale about uh, a, a mermaid or a merman uh, is is more of like the idea that the, that there is a uh, a community that is like similar to humans under the ocean somewhere. Um, sometimes you can steal their cows. I think that's like a a, a standard uh, folktale that you get in Iceland, like stealing. Uh, yeah, in Sweden as well. It's very in, in Sweden too. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and what some... a mermaid stealing a cow? No, they are more like I would say, not say mermaids per se, like that. It's like more like sea folk or something. They okay, mer people, the rulers, the spirits of the. Of the say, what's that cow doing so close to the sea? But but they yeah, do what? they do have cows and things like that. Sometimes they take them up to graze uh, close to the mm-hmm. water. So okay, if you throw iron or something over one of the cows, you can steal it. Yeah, and there's also the stories about uh, encountering, but they're, they're more like ghosts, I guess. Um, a, a merman who uh, is like you know in the water and says that he's so cold, and then you have to like throw either a mitten or or your pants to him, um, and that's sort of more of a, a, a basically a, a a story of like I don't know sacrificing to the water spirits to to make sure that you get home safe that kind of stuff or, or show compassion if you take a more christian perspective on these stories yeah absolutely yeah and that's... i don't know why i just can't take a merman seriously <laughs> just, there's just something so fabulously gay about a merman and i just imagine you'd be very but the, the thing is that they, they don't have fish tails usually 
They yeah. are more, the, the, especially in Scandinavia, I don't think it's very, it's more like they have legs like normal people, like they are just living underwater. Yeah, okay. exactly. And so, uh, so I, I'm not entirely sure where the fishtail comes from, um, maybe Mediterranean folklore. Yeah, it exists there. Yeah, it does. Yeah, and and um, uh, I mean, it makes sense that people, you know, you would think maybe that people lived in the sea, or at least make stories about people that lived underwater. It's it seems quite logical. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this again, we have as human beings a tendency to anthropomorphize our world in general, right? We. Uh, seem to believe that that spirits inhabit the world in in so many different ways and capacities mm-hmm. um and that's that's been probably i mean that seems to have been a a, a very consistent element of pre-christian religions um in in europe and a lot of other places around the world right and then what you have is that christianity comes in and uh and and redefines a lot of ideas of of of, of spirituality in different ways and how to interact with um with spirit but but it looks like you know that way of thinking persists right it's it's still there in different ways and then you know at times we see the the churches they they turn against this kind of uh, thinking and uh and literally try to eradicate it and at other times the churches are more uh sort of like inclusive of of this way of thinking and try to simply like christianize these stories more um, and that's also why, as you just pointed out, Tommy, that like we, we can take a uh, a Christian uh, direction when interpreting some of these folk tales, and we can take a uh, perhaps more non-Christian interpretation. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's that's also kind of the beauty of it, and it basically works in both ways. Um, so yeah. because we still have to remember, if something is uh, rec- uh, recorded in the 19th century, even if there would be some old pre-christian motifs there they would still have maybe it's a merge of christian thinking with kind of folk thinking maybe with some things that goes back, way back to maybe pre-christian times there is a when it comes to these the nature spirits in in swedish there's a word uh most of them are called something with the roa roa is like forest roa or uh, sea roa or uh, uh, mine roa and roa means ruler Mm, so it's, okay. a, it's a ruler of the sea, the, the ruler of the ocean, ruler of the forest, or ruler of the mines. So, and I think that's very, really, very interesting. That might go back also quite long in time. Mm-hmm. And there are also yeah, some makes, stories about sacrifice to maybe the forest spirit. And that makes some, sense yeah. that you would think that there is something there um, ruling it, especially back, you know, a thousand, two thousand years ago. It's it would make perfect sense that you would you would believe that. Um, one more I want to ask about, I'm not sure whether this is more folklore or myth or just made up modern bullshit. Um, the light and dark elves, that's one thing that when you do any research on like Nordic mythology, especially mm. like a Google level, mm. you always seem to see this elf as a, as a dark elf and as a light elf. Thanks a lot, Snorri Sturluson. Okay, yeah, and then then Tolkien, <laughs> and yeah. Tolkien. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean that's I mean, that's probably something we can. But you have you have the word get the word misconception. Yeah, but you have the word alpha. So then you have uh, in uh, the Scandinavian folklore you have elvor, which is derived from the same word, 
but they are more like invisible beings that shoot arrows at you with diseases. Mm. <laughs> so they're, they're far from, say, Tolkien's elves. They are, <laughs> these are, yeah, the, the explanation why you get elf shot or something, which is a kind of a rash and um, a disease on you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, well, I'm using that from now on. Do, man. Please do. <laughs> no, so, so, yeah. That's, I'm now elf shot. <laughs> Snurri writes in Etta that uh, there are dark elves and light elves and it is it is you know so very very obviously something that he's nicked from the Lucidarius which is an instructive text on Christianity um that, that that's like there there so when it comes to understanding Snurri's um description of Nordic mythology there are like these levels at which we can we can evaluate it right and 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 there's you know the surface is like oh this is obviously christian and and then there's like oh this is a mix of 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 uh, perhaps some 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 folk belief and 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 christian interpretation and then somewhere down there deep into all of this we we might get to something that might uh, have been sort of like quote unquote pure pre-Christian uh, thought and idea of various kinds, right? And these light and dark elves, they they are right up there on the surface level of of like straight up Christianity, along with all Father Odin and all of that nonsense too. Um, so so yeah, that's where that comes from. <laughs> okay, so that's one that we can discredit straight away. Uh, yeah, so the thing is that we can. Uh, I, I so I can't remember exactly uh, um, the phrase, but 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 the, almost the, the way that he writes it is almost like verbatim uh, copying uh, what it says in the text called Elucidarius that um, that gives explanations for heaven and hell and all that stuff uh, that was available to him. So so like he's he's like almost you know, quoting here. <laughs> That's that's one that I can use next time I'm trolling the Facebook groups. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tommy, before we wrap up, is there any? What's the weirdest one? What's the weirdest sort of creature of folklore being weirdest. that you've come across? Or you know, one that really st- stands out? Because I imagine you've come across thousands yeah. in different forms or different variations of maybe the same one. What's the one that comes to mind? Is like, ugh, who the fuck came up with this? Oh, that, that that's I, I need to think about it because there are so many many different uh, beings. We haven't talked about werewolves, for example, which is also quite frequent in here <laughs> in Scandinavia. Oh, okay, um, but I was thinking about a certain ghost pig. I've written an article on ghost pigs recently, I, and I st- I don't know why I still. Love the idea of ghost pigs. Oh, I'm listening now. The glossnow, <laughs> as it is called in Danish. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a, that's similar to this glossnow. Yeah, that, that's also a ghost pig uh, for sure. <laughs> there are ghost pigs all around, but in in southern Sweden, for example, there's a certain type called glossun, uh, which is not the same as grasso. Sometimes they are, sometimes not. Uh, grasso is also existing in in southern part, the old Danish uh, part of Sweden, but glossun is. Uh, a big sow. It's a sow. Uh, it's it's uh, back is formed like a saw or something, mm. and it rushes against the person at full speed and tries to cleave the person in half or carry him long long way, 
ways that he he will be uh, confused or maybe die from the ride, the crazy ride. But that's that's uh, sometimes it's she's it's always that she is um, described as having eye eyes all over her body. It's one one account I can remember, which is very strange. <laughs> So sometimes she has also small uh, piglets behind her, which is almost cute in a way. <laughs> but she's, like she's eyes all over their bodies. Ugh. And you can also see that this is probably also based on uh, pigs and boars. <laughs> you wouldn't ever mess with a boar with with, with small ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think we we think of pigs now as you know what you see is like a, a little cute piglet or a just a, a pink pig but yeah. back back then it wouldn't quite be like that they'd be they're they're tough little fuckers and they'd yeah. um they are man they give you the tusks yeah they will eat you <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> there are many descriptions of boars you know uh using the tusks just to attack horses or hunters and all kinds of things and there are really bad fights between them mm-hmm. yeah they're just squat strong little things are they they will uh yeah you'll definitely you'll know about if you fight a pig mm-hmm. yeah there i've read some descriptions even without boars just ordinary uh farm pigs but they are not usually they are walking freely they, they used to walk freely yeah, in the forest so if you come across them uh, late at night for example and goes in its path even it doesn't have to be a, a, a boar it can be just be a, a pig and if it attacks you it would be Especially for a young one, it would be quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. Yeah, no, it's um, it, it's kind of funny because as you were just saying, uh, Dan, nowadays we just think of like these like pink, lacy, fat pigs that's like oh, lying think, around. I think of babe. A babe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every Cute time. Little ones. Yeah. Every time when I think of a pig, I think of babe. <laughs> of course. But yeah, no, I, I, they, they are, they're pretty, they can be pretty nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one fun fact. Um, so uh, up until 1921, uh, uh, since 1864, uh, the southern part uh, or Schleswig, in uh, as as this uh, southern part of Denmark, a northern part of Germany, was um, was fully occupied by by Germany at the time, and with a large Danish minority. And they actually began uh, breeding pigs, um, the, the Danish uh, minority in, in northern Germany at the time. They began breeding these pigs that were um, like reddish brown and white, uh, had a white stripe in the, uh, on the middle of their belly um, uh, to, to, to like signify their, <laughs> their allegiance to Denmark. Uh, so, so there's a, <laughs> it, it is formally known as the protest pig. <laughs> There you but go. That's, that's a real breed <laughs> all because of some random nationalism <laughs> <laughs> all right so is there any more that jump out at you that uh we should know about there's actually a lot of things that we could talk about but i understand the time is short but yeah uh there are also the the nicks the, the neck is also quite uh, famous in in scandinavian folklore which is uh usually portrayed as a fiddler uh he's trying to lure people inside streams or or water and drown them okay that sounds very pied piper-esque mm. yeah but leading children instead of uh, rats in a way mm. mm-hmm. 
it is also I sometimes he appears in the in the shape of a horse and the more children that wants to jump up on its back, the, the longer the horse becomes until every child can fit there. And then it runs out in the water and drowns everyone. Mm. So it was also a way of saying to children, beware the water, don't go there, because people couldn't swim back then. So it was very rare to be able to swim. So, yeah. I, I think the, a Danish ver, ver, variant of, of that story is usually that it's drunk people going home from the bar. <laughs> they get up yeah. on the horse. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Right. And that's also also in uh, just in the Icelandic sagas in in Landama book. There's also a, a horse in the same kind of uh, way. It's not it's not called the neck or something. Neckas is also in Beowulf actually the word. Yeah. <laughs> for a water water spirit in a way, water monster or something. But there's also a horse that's very similar to the neck in Wobeka uh, Hesten. We call it mm-hmm. the brook horse in in in, uh, in Landama book. Awesome. Yeah, no, let's let's wrap this let's wrap this one up. Tommy, I I think in, in future we should do an episode where we compile a list in advance of all these yeah. these really interesting different creatures that pop up in, in folklore. Because I imagine there are some absolutely fascinating ones that, there are many of them. Uh, yeah, and I think it's it's difficult to obviously come up with them off off the top. So I think let let's do an episode in the future of just a list and go through some of these really really most fascinating ones oh yeah of course sounds sounds wonderful perfect um is there anything you want to shout out plug where people can find you and your work i mentioned the ghost pigs and also the forest spirit and i've written for this uh, site called folklore thursday it's like a blog post i have some things there in english for Mm -hmm. everyone to to look at and also talked about uh the year walk tradition in the folklore podcast that's also in english uh, okay. and there are some articles but maybe it's like usually in academia they are hard to come by so i won't mention them you can find <laughs> me like academia dot uh, on, on the internet or something perfect matthias what about you i'm getting so many friend requests on facebook and stuff like that so i'm not going to plug anything oh don't be <laughs> like that no, it's like, just, just say no to them. <laughs> I do. Um, no, you can always find me on Instagram, of course. And um, uh, yeah, I uh, I will post a picture of a mountain here and there. And uh, yeah, uh, getting too famous, eh? All those friend requests, <laughs> hard to deal with. <laughs> it's, it's a voice. It must must be your voice. It it's it's got to be my voice. Yeah. You don't want to see what he looks like. <laughs> that <Yeah>. voice. <laughs> Where are my friend requests? No come. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I do. I I get some. I get some. <laughs> All right. If you if you enjoy the show, please take a moment to leave us a a five star rating and a positive review. Helps new people find the show. I uh, like we mentioned earlier on in the show. If you want to check us out on YouTube, you can. Our YouTube channel is just Nordic Mythology Podcast. Definitely hit the subscribe button so you know when a new video comes out. Um, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram, just at Nordic Mythology Podcast. NordicMythologyPodcast.com for the website. And if you want to support us further, Patreon is the best way. We have a bunch of different levels from £5 to £20 a month. Every Any tier gets access to the Vikings watch-along show that we do after... After the main show, every week, we, we jump on and record a watch-along show where me and Matthias break down a latest episode of the Vikings TV show 
it's always good fun finding out what's real, what's not real, and just having having a laugh. Um, other than that, I think that's it. But yeah, hopefully everybody enjoyed the show. And thank you very much for listening. Yeah, thank you for joining us, Tommy. Oh, it's nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Tommy. <laughs>